Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast, our mission to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. As you can see, we're back into our Hebrew series, and, and if you've been tracking with us from the beginning, you may be thinking, wow, we're still doing this? When is it ever going to end? It's, it's like a global pandemic or something. Um, I, I trust that uh, you've, you've learned a lot in the series, and, and if you're jumping in today uh, for the first time, don't worry. It's, it's not, you, can, you can learn stuff today that isn't directly tied to everything in the past. You're not going to be missing out. Um, and as much as we might be hoping that the, the end will come, I think the, the better hope is that it's going to be a good end. And uh, we are in the home stretch. We're going to be on our last three or four weeks of Hebrews and, and tying it all up. But the, the, the hope that the end is going to be good is sort of a, a microcosm. It's like a little version of the big story of life. We hope that the story of our lives, the story of the world, is going to be good. We hope it's a good story. And, and as a, the culture that I grew up in, in the West, has been sort of infected by the values and the aims and the overarching story of Christianity, where for a long time, We've anticipated that we're aiming towards a good end and we work towards that end. We, we have hope because we have confidence that God has worked in history and God is continuing to work in and through history towards that good end. Now we might take that for granted. The reality is that in a lot of the other cultural backgrounds, that isn't the case. The, the understanding of life, the understanding of the world is that just what has happened yesterday is going to happen tomorrow. What happened last century is going to happen next century. And it's a cycle. Even in, in some of the um, very well thought out Greek philosophies and, and, and Hindu culture, the idea is that everything kind of grounds to a halt and then just starts up again, an endless cycle, which isn't the story of Christianity. The story of Christianity is that God acted in history to change things, aiming towards a final end that is good. It's a positive goal. That's, that's kind of the origin where in the West we have this pursuit of what we call progress. Progress, things are getting better. We take it for granted that we value progress. Sometimes uh, Michelle and I will watch a movie and uh, we don't know how it's going to end. And Michelle's decision about whether the movie is good or not is if the ending is good. If it has a sad ending, oh, that wasn't a good movie, I didn't like that one. And every once in a while I catch her when she's reading a book, she'll flip to the end to see if it's worth reading the book. Is it worth reading this? Because if the end is bad, I don't want to read it. And the reality is that when we live through our lives, whatever your context, whatever your background, whatever your upbringing, as we move as a culture as, or a society through history, we don't know if it's a good story until we can evaluate the whole thing. You can only evaluate it at the end. In the middle of it, we're sort of wandering towards the end. We don't know if it's good. So how can we know that we're living in a good story? Partly is because the writer of the book gave us a sneak peek of the end. I know we don't really tend to think big picture about how other religious systems or cultural systems work, but that is unique about Christianity, that God spoke to people to give a hint to the end so we have sort of a sneak peek at the last page, and the end is good. 
God is working towards something good. And we as a, in the West, in our culture, we've bought that idea of progress. But what happened over time, this is, this is what happened, is we, we moved God from the center of the story, we pushed him off to the side of the story. And at some point, we've eliminated him from the story altogether, and we've held on to the idea of progress, but absent from God who's working in history towards the end of history. And so we work towards progress with nobody controlling the story. And, and in the past, we've recognized God as an agenda and we've leveraged things like, like the natural world or the economy or technology to work towards the end of making things better with progress. They're tools that we leverage to, to make progress happen. But after we squeeze God out of the story, what became the tools for progress became the drivers of the story. And so I know this is kind of complex, it's kind of like up there, what are you talking about? But we can see how this works because the, the story of our culture has changed. Now progress just happens by itself through natural evolution or through Marxist economics. And in the drive towards progress, our societies around the world have been willing to sacrifice millions of lives towards a, a kind of utopia. This, this dream end. You know, the word utopia, the, the origin of that word means no place. And so our progress is driving us towards, we don't even know where, no place. And the things that were supposed to be the tools to make things better, they oppress us. Technology that's supposed to make our lives better now drives our lives. It's partly because we've taken the author of the story and removed him from the story and said, we'll just take it from here. We'll just go from here. You can't know if the story ends well unless you know the end of the story. We don't even know if progress is progress unless we get a peek at the end of the story. And so the story of Scripture, the story of God's people, the story of the church, is that God has a faithful few that have trusted in him to keep that story going. This is where it's a, it's a matter of faith, and faith is not... I say this regularly across, and faith is not just a matter of opinion. It's not, a, it's not a set of opinions that you hold or you choose to hold. Faith is a, it's an allegiance, it's a dedication, it's faithfulness. And so God's people are the ones that say, we are trusting you for this story. It's something you can't prove, because then it's only a matter of intellect. But God's people are the ones that are trusting him to further this story. Things can be better than they are now. We had somebody at our church, we used to do a thing in the summer called This Is My Story, and people would share their stories. And he was sharing a story about how he, he had a neighbor who, who was not religious at all, and he had a good life. He had a house and a family and a dog and a good job and a nice car and all that other stuff. And, and so the person at our church uh, was, was just in conversation, he'd build a relationship with him, and, and he, was in, he was talking to him and he said, if, if you lost it all, like if through some tragedy you lost your family, you lost your house, you lost your car. What hope would you have? And the guy had to think about that. And he said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any hope. And we live in a world where there's a loss of hope. There's a redefinition of hope. And so if you're older, I don't know if you would recognize this. If you were younger, you would recognize this. Our story has changed. The story that is aimed at younger people, and you'll see this in education, you'll see it in the media. And the story today is you write your own story. 
Nobody can tell you what your meaning and purpose is. You decide that for yourself, which sounds inspiring until you face all of the problems of the world. Because what happened in the 20th century, what took God out of the center, and then we removed him from the, from the story to begin, like completely, and all of a sudden we have monumental problems. Huge economic issues, huge wealth disparity issues, environmental issues, and our young people are facing a future where they're looking at these problems and they're being told, you can write your own story, but they have no tools with which to write them. The sky's the limit, the horizon is endless. Go write your story. Sounds inspiring, but without a peek at the end of the story, we don't know whether it's gonna be a good story. And I think in the face of that, of, of, of the problems and the lack of the tools, the response is despair and inadequacy. And I believe to some extent that despair and that inadequacy is manifested in depression and anxiety. You can write your own story, but we have no story to write. So we're in the book of Hebrews. We're coming towards the end. And I want to read a verse from Hebrews 10, the very last verse in the chapter. It says, we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. The, the ones who turn away from God, the original language says something like who shrink back. God is progressing and what I'm finding is the dream of progress is being lost in our world and people are shrinking back. They're shrinking back into entertainment and affluence and the pursuit of pleasure. I read something recently that says, when there is hope for the future, we invest in the present towards the future. When there is loss of hope in the future, we spend it all in the present and we're going to force our kids and grandkids to pay the price. We have lost hope. And God's people are expected to pursue, to move forward, to not shrink back. And you can't move forward without faith. Faith is not blind belief. Faith is trust, allegiance, commitment. There are people I know, people I know well, that have faith in the Toronto Maple Leafs. That does not at all mean that you believe the Maple Leafs exist because it would be foolish to suspect that they don't exist. That statement means I believe this team will succeed and as we move forward into the season, that faith becomes harder and harder and harder to hold because I'm not sure the Toronto Maple Leafs are a valid place to put a lot of hope and confidence. But as followers of Jesus, we put our confidence in God. We have faith, commitment, belief in. We stake our lives on this. We place our bets here. And that's why in Hebrews 11.1, 1, a very, very, uh, very, very popular and famous verse that is regularly misinterpreted. It says this in the New Living Translation, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. There is a reality we hope for. And the evidence for our hope is our faith. I really, really like the way the New Living Translation has translated that because it's not as misleading as other ones. Now, it kind of drops the ball in the particulars, but it gets the big picture. If, 
we want to get a better look at the particulars, I'm going to look at Hebrews 11.1 1 in New American Standard. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. And the problem with this is because we have understood this to be a definition of faith. What is faith? I've heard this preached. I've heard it taught. My parents used to tell me this. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That's not what faith is. If you, if you were to know first century Jew, Moishe the Pharisee, and time travel him to the present, and put this in front of him and say that's the definition of faith, he would say that's not, the, that's not what faith means. Faith means confidence in, trust in, allegiance to, faithfulness to. That's what faith is. And he might look around at our world and say, what is that big box with four wheels on it? What is that? Well, that's how I get to work. Sure, but that's not a definition. A car may be how I get to work, but how I get to work is not a definition of a car. And this is where we've kind of made this verse kind of misleading. It's not a definition of faith. Now, where, where this, the NASB, the New American Standard, gets the particulars right, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And that's not a, the word substance there is not a, uh, a trivial word. There were, there were um, all kinds of controversies as the early followers of Jesus started to, to look at the things he did, look at the things he said, and things that, that were revealed about him and say, how do we figure this all out? And at one point, in the resolution of the controversies, they said, we recognize that Jesus is God. He's the very same, the Greek word is hypostasis, or that's sort of a bad translation, anglicization of the word. And, the, and there was a huge uh, conferences and people talking about this word hypostasis. They're, they're God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they're all the same hypostasis. That word is substance. It's the same stuff. That's the word here. Faith is the same stuff as things hoped for. Is that, that's, how do we know that our hope is legitimate? Well, faith gives us that stuff. It's the evidence of things we can't see. Hebrews 1.3 says Jesus is the same substance as God. It's the same word being used there. It's the same stuff. So everybody in the first century knew what, what faith was, what the definition was. What this is saying is that Hebrews 11.1 1 is not a definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 is a description of faith as the demonstration of hope. It's the description of faith as the demonstration of hope. Do you have hope? If you have hope, it's demonstrated by your faith. That's what it is. Your hope is demonstrated by your faith. By your belief, by your, you're staking your life on this claim. Placing all your bets on Jesus. Previous chapter said the righteous will live by faith. The righteous are marked out by faith. And that's a quote from the Old Testament. And one thing in the New Testament that um, sometimes we sort of gloss over those passages, but usually those verses that are referenced in the Old Testament don't just reference the words, they reference the whole context of the words. And when you look at the, the verse that's being quoted there, which is in the book of Habakkuk, which is one of those minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament, the ones that people kind of maybe read through real quickly and skip over, this, this book, it's I think three chapters long, and it's loaded 
with positive stuff. It's a book really worth reading. And in that, it says the righteous will, God's chosen, those who are in the right, those who have been justified, they will live by faith. They will live by their trust in God. And I've said this before, the word faith is the same as the word for faithfulness. When you are faithful in marriage, you have faith in your spouse or in your marriage. Those things go hand in hand. You can't separate them out. And what it says in that passage in Habakkuk, it says, God's rescue will come. It will come without delay. The righteous will live by faith. We trust in God's rescue. We trust in God's making things right. And that is a demonstration of our hope. In a world without hope, in a world where the horizon is empty and we're expected to write our own story, we know that we have our trust, our faith, our commitment to Jesus because he's making everything right. What does that faith look like? It looks like three things. It looks like persistent expectation. We are waiting, we are expecting that God is going to make everything right. We're hanging on to that expectation. When things look bad, when things go from bad to worse, we know that one day God is going to make things right. Here's one thing that we've done with that as, as Western Christians. We've made it all about me. So when, when things go bad, I'm okay because one day I'm going to go to heaven and my life is meaningless. No, that's not what the story is. The story is going to make all things right, which means that the life I live before eternity makes a difference. It means something. We have a persistent expectation. What the world has done with the word hope, the origin of the word hope, even in English, is a noun. And it means a confident expectation. And because we have lost that confident expectation, because we have been skeptical towards all these claims, because we've moved God from the center of the story and then out of the story, hope has become a wish. What do you hope for? Like, Something for Christmas? You hope to win the lottery? That's what hope has become in our culture. Hope has become a wish, but that's not what this is. We don't have a wish that God is gonna make everything right. We have a confident expectation, a persistent expectation. And the second thing faith is, is patient endurance. Because when God is gonna make everything right, even when I have to wait through things that are going bad, I can trust that he will make everything right and use even the worst and make something good out of it. When we become impatient, that itself is a sign of unbelief. We're losing our trust that God is going to make everything right. Our faith is demonstrated. It looks like persistent expectation. It looks like patient endurance. A lot of people are enduring a global pandemic by staying home with Netflix. We're just gonna wait this out, we're gonna ride this out. And a lot of followers of Jesus, particularly in the West, less so in other parts of the world, are waiting out this world, just waiting for God to come and swoop in and make everything right. But that's not patient endurance because faith is also demonstrated through personal engagement with God's purpose. God has worked in history. Jesus' death and resurrection was a historical event. Some people have said it's the hinge of history. That's where everything changed. But God is still working. And the call of our lives is not to sit at home and just wait it out. 
I've known people that grew up in communes in British Columbia. The idea was to separate yourself from society and live there in a protected, insulated environment while the world went to crap, waiting for Jesus to come and make things right. But to be faithful, to have trust, to have faith in Jesus is to participate with him in his purposes for the world, which means getting out of our house, looking around at our neighborhood, seeing what God is doing in our neighborhood and how he may be calling us to participate with that. To, to demonstrate our hope is to live with faith, which is persistent expectation, patient endurance, and personal engagement. And then the rest of the chapter of Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame of faith. And I believe to, we've read it a little bit wrong for a long time. We've read it as a list of people who have demonstrated faith, which is true. And they're commended for their faith. But what is actually happening here is a list of people who are demonstrating their faith because of their hope for the future. That's the complete story. Remember the context. So if you've been tracking with us, we have this early community of Jesus. It's uh, probably in like a synagogue type environment and they're facing pressure, they're facing persecution and the challenge of this message, the challenge of this letter, this sermon that was written for them or to them was don't go back to the old ways. God is doing something new. The old ways of worship were only a shadow of what was to come. The high priest, our king, our prophet, has now come and made access to God's very presence outside of those old forms. Those old forms are becoming obsolete. There's something new. And you might get the sense that God is, is just dismissing the prior history, but that's not true because what we see in chapter 11, we see those Jewish roots. All of those people that came before were leading up to the present. They were anticipating that. Their faith was the expectation that one day this would happen. And so we see Hebrews 11 talks about Abel giving a sacrifice to God. You don't sacrifice anything unless you're hoping something for the future. That's what a sacrifice is. I'm going to give us something now in expectation of something for the future. And the very first example is Abel. You see Noah, who rescues his family by building a boat and riding out the flood. You see Enoch, who uh, had such a tight relationship with God. He just, he didn't experience death. He went right to, right to God's presence. And then, and then the author of, he, of Hebrews goes into it more when he talks about Abraham, the father of faith, the person who responded to God's call said, I'm going to trust you. And, and God said, I'm going to give you this promised land. And the author of Hebrews says, but he never experienced that in his lifetime. He responded to God in faith, anticipating the heavenly reality sometime in the future. That's what Hebrews has been talking about up to this point. There's a heavenly reality that's sometime in the future. And we have access to that in God's presence. But one day it'll be here for completely. That's the story of Abraham. It says he, he confidently looked forward to a city with eternal foundations. We see Moses who's listed, who abandoned the treasures of Egypt. All the pleasures and, and things that I could have now, I forsake that in anticipation of what God is doing in the future. Hope for the future is demonstrated by faith today. And in a world that's devoid of hope, they need the model of faith demonstrated. That's our call. Every single one of them, and there's a whole list. I, I was thinking of reading the whole chapter, but we'll, we'll be here for a long time. So go home today and read Hebrews 11. Not just the Hall of Fame of Faith, 
but the hall of fame of those who demonstrated hope by their faith, that God was doing something. Each one demonstrates the confident expectation. Their faith is the evidence of their hope. Maybe you're here today and you go, how? Well, I don't have faith. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not. But I, but I, I, I don't have that confident expectation. I don't like patiently enduring. I'm afraid to personally engage with God's mission. And what we've talked about over the past few weeks in this series, not the past few weeks, but the previous sort of block of Hebrews, that Jesus as our high priest opens up God's presence. And when you encounter God in his presence, that builds your faith. So when we encounter God, when we hear his words to us through scripture and directly to our spirit and in community, that builds our faith. Romans says faith comes by hearing the word of God. And the word of God there is not, it's not reading the word of God. Our faith is built when we hear the words that God is saying to us. That's how you build your faith. And I don't want to like, I know a lot of people and I see this on, on social media where they depersonalize God and make him the universe, you know? If you think good thoughts, the universe will bring good things your way. We're not talking about that. See, when we move God out of the center of the story and we put him to the side, that was something called deism, where we depersonalized God and made him somebody out there. Not here, not close, not behind a, a veil right next door, but somebody out there. And sometimes we still hold to that concept, even as followers of Jesus. God is out there somewhere. But we're talking about God who is the creator of the universe. He started history. God who rescued his people from slavery in Egypt in history. God who was revealed by Jesus, who destroyed the power of evil on the cross, who was raised to be the rightful authority and ruler of the world. At this point, that has only been partially revealed. He's the authority, but only his faithful ones are recognizing that. But one day he'll return to restore all things. And that's where we are in the middle of the story. We're not looking at an empty horizon. Our eyes are on Jesus, who's going to return and rightfully restore everything. So why are we waiting? Why do we have to patiently endure? Because God's purpose is to give the people of the world time to respond to him. And part of our purpose in this world is to communicate that opportunity to people. That God loves humanity. He wants to live with humanity. And part of our patient enduring and participation with his purpose is to be the faithful ones who demonstrate hope to the world. We don't put our trust in economic systems. We don't put our trust in technology. We don't put our trust in the natural evolution, the, the spontaneous move towards progress all by itself. It just sort of happens by itself. We don't put our trust in the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're putting our trust in God's purposes for the world and partnering with him in that. We're staking our lives on Jesus who fills the horizon of our future with hope. Hope is demonstrated by our persistent expectation, our patient endurance, and our personal engagement. Now, maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online and you never even stepped into 
that story that God has for you. You're not living it. You've never, you've put your hope in all kinds of other things. You put your confidence in other things. And I'm calling you today, put your confidence in God. And if you've never done that before, I want to lead you in a process by which you do that. It's as simple as ABC. It's a, it's a big decision. It's not an easy one, but it is a simple one. And the, the, the A stands for admit, acknowledge your need for him. Without God, your future is empty guesswork. And you may come to the end of your life one day and go, afraid I missed it. But God has a future for you that starts today. A future for good. A future where your whole life will mean something in eternity. That's the A, admit, I need. And then B is to believe in God's program. And again, believe is not just um, an opinion, it's staking your trust in him. That Jesus came to overcome our own inability, to give us a hint for the future, and to make a way possible that we can encounter God directly. We can be empowered by him. We can know his love. We can know his assurance. And we can hold his hand as we walk forward into the future. And then C stands for commit. It means jumping in both feet. You can't, you can't get in the boat with one foot on the dock because you'll end up in a very bad place. But God wants to take you somewhere and it means jumping in both feet. Doesn't mean you have to check your brains at the door or become stupid, it doesn't mean that at all. But it means submitting our will, our intellect, our emotions, our agendas, our aims to his agendas, his aims. And this is something that we, we spend the rest of our life figuring out as we encounter him over and over and over in our worship, in our community, in our service. So if this is a decision you want to make today for the first time, I want to lead you in a prayer. And just follow my words or make them yours. Pray something like this. Father in heaven, I am admitting my need for you. Without you, I have no real hope. And so today I am choosing to stake my life on your promises. I'm choosing to place my confidence in you for a future of hope. And I'm committing my life to you today. My aims, my agendas, my emotions, my relationships, my intellect. I wanna give it all to you today and know you and live my life with you. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Amen. And if this is a decision you're, doing, you're making today for the first time, I want you to connect with us. We're, we're a community of people who are following Jesus together. We do this imperfectly. We do this, we, we allow grace to one another, we make mistakes. But we love Jesus and we're following him together. And so there are next steps available to you. If you go to crosslands.live and um, click on the follow Jesus button, then uh, give us your contact info. Because then we can get a hold of you and give you some next steps. What are the next things to do as we commit our lives to him? And we have all kinds of options and, a, and sort of a path to go through as, as we learn the skills of being a follower of Jesus. So don't abandon that last step. We are not designed to live our lives alone and to walk spiritually together. Connect with us and, and then we'll get back to you on that. I'm going to close our service in prayer, but um, before that I, I want to say... I want to remind you that 
We are a people of hope. We are trusting in a good God who loves us. But the evidence of that hope is our faith. The evidence of that is our commitment to him. Our enduring patience, our engagement with his purposes, and our constant expectation that because he loves us, because he loves humanity, the future is going to be good. God is a good God who loves us. And we trust in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. And I thank you that you don't leave us to wander. You don't leave us to write our own stories by ourselves and try to figure out meaning and purpose. But that our meaning and our purpose is found in you. May we increasingly be people of faith, people of commitment to you. And Father, where we're deficient, Father, may we find our strength in encountering you in community, in worship, in service, in hearing your voice through scripture and prayer. Father, build our faith, increase our, pray, our faith. That we may be, we may offer the light of hope to a society that has lost hope. May we reveal that hope is not just a wish, it's a confident expectation. And we put our trust in Jesus, who defeated evil on the cross, rose again to rule, and will one day return to restore. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play Store so that it comes straight to your device. And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.